Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. So we're here today because Jesus Christ was raised bodily from the dead. Christianity began with a small group of Jewish people who claimed to have seen the resurrected Jesus after he had died and been buried. Several of those people had actually been present at his crucifixion, and they watched him die. A couple of them had prepared his body for burial and then buried him. Then, less than three days later, they learned that the tomb was empty and they saw him alive again. And during the following 40 days or so, they conversed with him, they listened to him teach about who he was and what he came to do and what he wanted them to do. They touched him, they ate meals with him, they watched him ascend to heaven. And then, based on his teachings, They fully confessed their faith in him as the Son of God, through whose death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation to heaven, people could be reconciled to God and restored to their purposes. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to tell people all over the world the good news about Jesus. This is how Christianity began. We're here today some 2,000 years later because there was a group of people, about 500 of them all together, who saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And the resurrection was the reason that they believed everything else about what he said about himself and what he came to do. It's because they saw him raised from the dead. A beautiful story is a story of Thomas, as told in the Gospel of John, frequently called Doubting Thomas. I hardly think that's fair. Actually, he was just a guy trying to get his mind around something that had never happened before. You know, I saw him die, and um, it's anyway, Jesus appears after the resurrection to some of the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there. They told Thomas about it, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And in fact, not only that, I, I, need, to, I need to touch him. I, I want to put my, my, my fingers against his nail-scarred hand. I want to plunge my fist into the hole in his side made by the, the, the spear of those Roman soldiers. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And John's Gospel said that about a week later, these disciples are together again, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, I'll be frank. If, if uh, a man that I saw die a couple weeks ago showed up in the middle of my house party, he'd probably have to do more than say, peace be with you. Probably have to have uh, a resuscitation or something. But anyway, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now see, here we are. We are those people that Jesus was talking about who believe even though we haven't seen. All the evidence gathered over the last 2,000 years points to the fact that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead, but we haven't seen him. 
Yet we believe and we're blessed by the reality of his presence through his spirit with us and in us. I think that Jesus intended to intimate that those of us who have not seen but have believed are actually more blessed than those who did see and believed. Because this is the nature of faith. And it's faith that connects us to God. Since early January, we've been teaching through the New Testament uh, book of Hebrews, section by section. Our text today, and yes, I'm going to continue teaching in Hebrews today. Our text today is Hebrews chapter 11. And this text teaches us that faith in what we do not see is sufficient to give us confidence and assurance for what we hope for. We're also told that faith in what or who we do not see is necessary to connect us to God and to receive all the good things that he's promised in our lives. So here's this famous passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Even if you're not a, you know, a, someone familiar with Scripture, you've probably heard this one. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The King James Version said it's evidence of what we do not see. And then a few verses later we're told, and without faith, this kind of faith that believes in what we don't see, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One translation has it like this. Faith gives substance to our hopes. See, faith in what we do not see is all we need, according to Scripture, to be fully assured of what we hope for. This text in Hebrew, Hebrews then goes on to say, among other things, that when we believe for things we do not see, that God always has something better than what we even believe for. Now, Hebrews 11 is a very famous chapter of Scripture. Again, whether you're familiar with Scripture or not, you've probably heard little bits and pieces of this chapter because it's in Hebrews 11 that we're introduced to what's frequently called the, the, the Faith Hall of Fame, where a number of great personages throughout history are mentioned as being people who believed even though they didn't see. Uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and more, number more. Each of these faith heroes believed in God and his promises to them. Each of them experienced amazing things, utterly amazing things. Some received, and I'm going to focus on this for a little bit, some received exactly what they believed for, meaning that they actually saw in time and space what they believed for happen. Others did not receive exactly what they believed for, not in the exact way they expected. Regardless, though, part of the message of Hebrews 11 and what I'm going to focus on the next little while is that God had something better for them than any of them even believed for. And a great example is the example embedded here in Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham and Sarah. Let's take a moment and let's, uh, let's look at this. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, 
By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. That's an interesting sentence, isn't it? He made his home like a stranger. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So we'll pause and just talk about that for a minute. I find this fascinating. So God speaks to Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to this land I've promised to you, which Abraham did. 4,000 years later, the descendants of Abraham are still living in that land. And we would then say that it appears that what God promised Abraham, that even though he didn't see it and went after it on the basis of that promise, that that promise came true, right? Yet, and it did. It did, but it didn't. Because we're told that Abraham lived like a stranger, even though that was his home, because he was looking forward to something better. And that better was something that couldn't happen in time and space. That better was the heavenly city that Scripture talks about that someday will come down from heaven where God will make his dwelling among his people in a new heaven and a new earth. So Abraham received what he was promised. And on the other hand, God had even better for him than what he promised because Abraham was going to end up together with all of us in a city whose builder and maker is God. And then the text picks up um, with, by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. We all know who Abraham and, and uh, Sarah's son was, Isaac. Um, Isaac was the promised child. Isaac was what God promised Abraham when he made covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, I, I'm going I'm to bless you and I'm going to bless the world through you and uh, your descendants are going to be a blessing and they're going to be like the stars in the sky and they're going to be like the sand. You're not even going to be able to count them. There are going to be so many of them. Isaac was a result of that promise. Abraham and Sarah are too old to have children, but by God's uh, 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 miraculous power, they have this child named Isaac. So by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, now we're talking about Abraham, who was too old to be able to uh, cause Sarah to conceive ostensibly, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Hear this, guys. They did not receive the things they promised or that they were promised. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country. Emphasis on the word better. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So here we have examples of two heroes of faith, Abraham and Sarah, who believed for something they didn't see based on what God promised them, and what they believed for was manifest, yet we're told that they didn't fully receive what they believed for. Why didn't they fully receive what they believed for? Because God had more for them than what they believed for. 
He had a better country even than the country he promised and that they went to. And, you know, what is that better country? Well, we learn about that throughout Scripture, but particularly Revelation 21. I'll just briefly mention this, where John said, talking about at the end of time, what happens. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city. What was Abraham looking for? Hebrews 11 said he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. This is it. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. The point, and there are a lot of points to be made, not enough time to make them, is they believed and acted in faith. They were sure of what they didn't see. They tasted the physical manifestation of what they believed for. But God had something better for them than even the good they experienced. They didn't know they were really longing for this future heaven-come-to-earth garden city where God wraps up history with having the people who actually believed in him live with him forever, fulfilling their God-given purposes on this newly recreated heaven and earth. Here's a great passage in Hebrews 11 that kind of encapsulates some of this. A number of these other heroes of faith are mentioned, and then the writer says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Did Abraham receive what was promised? Yes, but evidently no. Did Sarah receive what was promised? Yes, but evidently no. They didn't receive what had been promised. Why? Because God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then the text goes on to say, and this is where we'll pick this up, Lord willing, next Sunday, that it was actually through Jesus entering death, defeating death, and being raised from the dead that what was necessary for them ultimately to experience perfection or the completion of everything God had promised, together with us, it was what Jesus did that made that possible. And that, it's, that Abraham and Sarah aren't ultimately going to get the better God ultimately planned for them until they experience it with us in the age to come. I know that's a lot to wrap your minds around, so good luck with it. But anyway, you know, somebody said to me after the first service this morning, they were trying to compliment me. And uh, it's interesting, some of the attempts people make to try to compliment me. And she said, she's listened to me teach for years. She said, you know, Pastor, she said, I, I, when you start teaching a lot of times, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, where in the world is he going with this? She's trying to compliment me. Where in the world is he going with this? And then she says, you always at the end, you wrap it up. And I say, oh, she said, she said, that's really a gift. And I said, if I, if I really had a gift, you'd know where I was going when I started. <laughs> so evidently I have half a gift. So uh, the other, the gift part's coming. Okay. But, but you kind of, kind of hang in there with me a little bit uh, for, for this to kind of resolve itself. So, so, um, these people in Hebrews 11 believe for things they didn't see, whether or not they received exactly what they believed for and exactly the way they wanted to see it. God had something better for them. Humor me, if you would, and say better. better. 
God had something better for them than what they even believed for. And this is beautifully demonstrated in another place in Hebrews 11 where uh, the writer says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice... He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Now, this seems totally out of character with everything we know from God in Scripture. And as it turns out, he really didn't want Abraham to sacrifice his son, but he was testing Abraham. The only one in the story who ends up sacrificing his son was God. Uh, and, and, and this foreshadowed that, but, but nonetheless, Abraham is being tested. And the test is, take the thing I promised you and offer it back to me. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, this is amazing, guys. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So he essentially says this. I have no idea why God would ask me for the son he promised me. But even if he takes him, it's going to be okay because he can raise the dead. Scripture says he reasoned that God can raise the dead. That word reason uh, is, is a Greek word from which we get our word logorhythm. Logorhythm, meaning precise, uh, systematic, mathematical calculations that lead to a proper answer. Abraham logorhythmed. He reasoned. He, he, he did the math and he said, you know what? I can't lose for winning. Because if I keep Isaac, God's promise came true. And if I lose Isaac, God can raise him from the dead. I cannot lose for winning. To which I say, because of resurrection, regardless what happens in life, we can know that God is always bringing something better than what we can see. I mean, just think about it. What's the worst thing you can imagine happening? Well, probably for all of us, it's death or the death, maybe even more importantly, the death of a loved one. But see, according to Abraham's reasoning, even if the worst thing you could imagine happens to you, somehow or another we end up with better because God can even raise the dead. Now, when you th then, you know, you start, the, you know, you know uh, strategists tell us to think from the future back. And when you, when, you, when you start there, you know, the worst thing that can happen turns out better, and you work that back into your everyday life. Wow. You know, it's like a, 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 a guy uh, who had this kind of faith who whenever anything negative would start to happen in his life, he'd walk out the back door on his porch and he would shout into the air, let her rip, meaning bring it on. Bring the very worst you can do because even the very worst that can happen to me turns out with things better for me than anything I had ever known here. Now, now, part of what's amazing about this is that Abraham had no frame of reference for the resurrection. Resurrection had never happened and wouldn't happen until Jesus showed up 2,000 years later. His faith in the unseen was incredible, but for us, for us, we believe in the resurrection because Jesus 
was raised from the dead. And Scripture teaches us that he was the first of many who would be. That all of us who believe will be raised as well and live life forever in the new heaven and new earth in that garden city designed by God. And you might say, how can I believe that that's true? Well, you believe that's true because it's happened. Jesus was the first of many to be raised from the dead. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, mid-A.D. 50s. It's within 20, 25 years after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, it is this good news, or some translations, it is this gospel that saves you. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died Listen, it's important to remember Christianity started among people who actually saw Jesus raised from the dead. And when Paul's writing to this to these people in Corinth, he's saying, hey guys, Jesus was raised from the dead. You have to stake your life on this. And by the way, if you don't believe me, there are still people alive in Jerusalem who saw him. You know, get, get on a boat on the Mediterranean. It's not that far. Go over there. Talk to those people if you don't believe what I'm saying. Because he says, this is really the most important news ever. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then... Right? And he said, so he's seen by more than 500 followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I also saw him. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who had died. This is where the resurrection begins to impact us. He was the first of many to be raised from the dead. You see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. The resurrection. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, guys, it wasn't the end, it was the beginning. The resurrection has begun in Jesus Christ. And for later in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died, now he's referring to the second coming of Christ, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So how do we know that we will be raised? Because Jesus was. It happened, it'll happen again. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead though he'd never seen it. It shouldn't be that difficult for us to logo rhythm that Jesus can raise the dead because it happened. And there are a billion people on this planet today celebrating the resurrection, not because of some fantasy land, but because there were a group of people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now, I think that we should uh, take this, this ultimate truth then and extrapolate back from it and, and extract lessons for our lives now. I, I don't actually want to focus on death today. I want to focus on life because we have a lot of living to do. Jesus promised, and this is the theme of the Life Christian Church, life in all its fullness, more and better life than we ever dreamed of. But let me tell you that if we live with this future reality in our minds, it causes us to experience more and better life now. And so let me try to uh, then bring some of this together. Uh, somebody said, thank God. Uh, so the resurrection helps us know things will always get better. Let's talk about three ways that this works in our lives now. Here's the first one. When we get what we want now. When we do get what we want now. My personal experience is that when I have faith for some good thing that I believe God has promised me, 
When I believe for something I cannot see, that thing is often manifest in my life. I end up seeing the thing I had faith for. How many of you would say that that's your experience as well? I end up seeing the thing that I had faith for. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But I've learned that even in those things, when I get what I want, there's often more and better in it than I believed for. And there are a lot of ways we could discuss that, but one way would be uh, that sometimes this is demonstrated in how God will use that thing that I got that I wanted to further develop my character and teach me more about himself and to inspire me to believe for more for myself and others. Uh, The Christian mystic St. Teresa of Avila said that there are more tears shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones. Say, well, what is that? Well, okay. So, so there, are, there are a number of people in this room who probably could attest to this. A young woman says, God, give me a husband. I believe for a husband. I believe for a husband. God gives her a husband. A year later, she's saying, oh, God, why did you give me this husband? <laughs> right? But you know that because of the miracle of marriage and the covenant that's entered into, that on one hand is what you want, and on the other hand, it's something that will help develop you as a person in ways you, you didn't really think about that when you were getting married. You were just thinking, I want to get married. Wow. But now, five years later, 10 years later, 30 years later, God's using that relationship to help develop. So, so you got what you wanted, and you got more <laughs> than you wanted. A young a couple asked God for children. God, give us kids. They have kids. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. It's the most painful thing in the world, right? And parents, you understand exactly what I mean. It's a great, it is truly the single greatest experience of my life as being a parent. It is truly the single most painful experience of my life being a parent, right? You get what you want and then you get more than what you want. And God uses it to develop and make your life better right? I mean, who of us who has children would ever want to, 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 to imagine our life in any other way? It, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and it's difficult, and it's fantastic, and it's better than we had any idea of. You, you, somebody wants to start a business. You start a business. You get your business. And then what is it then? Is all wonderful? You got what you wanted? Of course not course not. Now you, you're, you're raising capital. You're trying to figure out how to deal with the banks. You're, you're trying to figure out once you get employees, well then, you know, good luck to all, all, all you know, you, 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 now all of a sudden the thing you wanted now becomes the most a wonderful thing. Your prayer was answered and it becomes something God is using to develop your life in all kind of powerful ways. Okay, I need to hurry. Here's the, the second thing is how this works out in our life. It's when we don't get exactly what we want now. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, there were people who seemed to get exactly what it was they believed for, and there are other people who didn't seem to receive exactly what they believed for. But regardless, God had better for all of them. That's what Scripture says. Uh, I, when I drive around this area, those of you who don't, who don't know me, um, I've been blessed to be the pastor of this church for over 30 years. I think this is my 31st Easter to preach at the Life Christian Church. I've been doing it a long time. And, and in the early years, it was a, just a small group of people. 54 people asked me to be their pastor. And we didn't own a building. We didn't own really anything. 
we owed things, but we didn't own things. And it was a little bit of a mess, actually, but a beautiful group of people. And anyway, for the first few years, we didn't have a building. So I, when I drive around now, I see building after building in this area that I wanted. Buildings that I said, I think that's the one. Let's pray about this. Let's make an offer on this. We looked at so many buildings. I, I, I look up, I see one of our elders, Maria, uh, Dr. Maria Bellamy. And how many buildings did we walk through, Maria? Walking around, looking, what's this going to be? And over and over and over, what I wanted didn't happen. Of course, now I know why. Because God had better, right? Get better. See, that's the way things work for faith people. Uh, that's the momentum of the resurrection. It's always a gravitational pull towards better. Um, a few years ago, I was in Penn Station. It was my day off a Monday. I like to go hang out in the city as often as I can. I love New York City. And, um, I, I, and I'm, I'm at Hudson Bookstore. Actually, the truth is, I remember when I was looking at Hudson Bookstore, I just had a book come out, and I was seeing if, it was in, if they had it displayed. <laughs> I saw it at Newark Airport. I thought they'd have it at Penn Station. They didn't, or if they did, I didn't know, because I got interrupted, a voice behind me. Pastor Terry, Pastor Terry. And um, I turned around, and there was a young woman standing there I didn't know, a young woman uh, in, with pink hair. Uh, I found out later she's a, actually a Broadway star. Her husband's a, 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 broad, a very successful Broadway actor. I guess you'd call Denny a star as well. Uh, and anyway, she's standing there and she says, Hi, my name's Haven Burton. And uh, I, I'm, I attend your church. I've not got to meet you. Um, I, I just feel like that it's just God, God's grace today that I'm getting to meet you right now. And she starts to cry. And she said, I'm pregnant. And um, uh, we just got the ultrasound back of our little baby girl, and she has two holes in her heart. And uh, she's going to be born with Down syndrome. And we ended up standing out on 7th Avenue during the midst, middle of rush hour, very cold morning. I laid my hands on Haven, and I prayed for her, and I prayed for that baby in her womb. Well, when the baby was born, the baby was born without two holes in her heart, miraculously healed. And, or maybe I should say, but she was born with Down syndrome. But here's the deal. This little girl, if you've been around Haven and Denny and their beautiful family, this little girl lights the room up like very few children I have ever seen. She has a connection with people. She has an intelligence about her. She is, she, the, the Burton family, last service, they were sitting over here, the whole family. She is a special child in every way. Now, here's the question. Did Haven and Denny get exactly what they wanted? I think if we were honest, we would say, that that wouldn't have been what most of us, if any of us, would have chosen. But you know what they ended up with? They ended up with something better than they ever imagined.
And I will promise you, they would not change a thing about that beautiful little girl. What they have is better. And, you know, I, I, I would say to some of you who are having a Penn Station moment in your life right now, and you're wondering, how in the world is this thing going to resolve itself? I'm going to promise you. I'm going to promise you in ways that I don't even begin to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ somehow or another ends up making everything better for people of faith. And then finally and quickly, when we, this, this works out in our lives when we do get exactly what we want forever. When we do get exactly what we want forever. Uh, the last three months, I've had the terrible privilege of officiating, presiding, whatever, uh, and preaching at the funerals of three people with whom I had exceptional personal relationships. I don't uh, Pastor Ryan and some of our other pastors do most of our funerals here these days, but these were people I was personally very close to. The first, my father-in-law, uh, Donald Deck, um, a great pastor, a great preacher, a great man, a great father, a great grandfather, and I've been married to his daughter for uh, 38 years. We have a long relationship, and uh, uh, then I presided at the funeral of Eleanor Wills. Eleanor Wills is one of the, the original members of the Life Christian Church. This woman impacted my life in incredible ways. Among many other things, she led our soup kitchen ministry at Christine's Kitchen for, I would say, over 20 years. They're, in fact, naming the room at Holy Trinity Church on uh, Main Street, who we partner with around the soup kitchen. They're naming the room after Eleanor. She is a legend. And then, and then uh, Paulette Zerpoli. Paulette Zerpoli, an amazing woman in our church who ended up being perhaps the most courageous person I have ever met. Paulette was diagnosed with ALS, and she courageously fought and fought with faith for some eight years, but we buried her just a few weeks ago. The Zerpoli family was sitting here on the second row in the last service as well. And the, the thing that's interesting is that uh, my job is to comfort people as they're mourning. In this case, I was mourning two people who were very special to me. But it's an amazing thing when you really believe the gospel because you mourn, and mourning is important. Jesus said that he comforts people who mourn, so mourning is important. But you mourn, but you don't mourn like people who have no hope. So you're, you're able to say, even though this is our present reality and not what we would have wanted to ever to lose someone we love, the fact is, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we know they will be raised bodily from the dead as well. That, that they are now in paradise waiting for the second coming of Christ, when there's a loud voice from heaven. Some scriptures say it's a shout from heaven where Jesus says, come out if you please. And the dead in Christ are raised. 
And those of us who are alive are transformed. And uh, for the dead, Scripture teaches us that that, uh, that person is reunited with their body. Their body is reconstituted, transformed, to become like the body of Jesus when he was raised from the dead. You say, how do we know that will happen? Because it's happened. So Paulette and Steve would talk about how that she was going to receive her miracle. Um, and the miracle was that either God would raise her up out of the wheelchair, which God can do, or when she dies, God will raise her up out of the grave. Um, Paulette, in her latter years, was completely, she couldn't move any part of her body except her eyes. So she would communicate by typing with her eyes on a screen, and out of the screen would come a voice. Sharon and I were visiting with her and Steve one day, and we're chatting with Steve, and Paulette was sitting there, and she's working that screen over with her eyes, and out, out, uh, it took her a while. But after, after a while, as we're talking, we're interrupted with a voice coming from that computer, and it was, I am so happy. I'm there to comfort her. She's telling me she's happy as she sits there unable to move in that wheelchair. Why are you so happy, Paulette? Because I know, one way or another, everything is going to get better. This is the inevitable course of things. On the morning Paulette died, she said to Steve, I think that today I'm going to get my miracle. She was dead a few hours later, to which I asked the question, there's only one good answer, guys, after this message I've just taught. Did she get her miracle? She died in faith. Hebrews 11, not having received exactly what she believed for, but guys, I promise you, in the end, this will be proven. She got better. Would you please stand with me? The band is going to come and sing one more great song just to encourage our faith. But I want to encourage you today. You know, I, I'm, reminded, I'm reminded of the story of Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus is standing there at the grave of a friend, and he cries. You remember that? He enters into the suffering of Mary and Martha, even though he knows what's about to happen. He's an empathizer, we're told in Hebrews. He empathizes with our weaknesses. But he didn't just cry because after he cried, he shouted. He shouted, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? Lazarus did. Here's my experience, guys, that most of the time in my life when I face some Lazarus moment, some difficult thing in my own life, I feel the comfort of Jesus. He enters into suffering with me. But, but more than that, most of the time, it seems to me that he shouts. And whatever it is that's, that's not going the way it should in my life, somehow or another has some kind of Lazarus come out kind of a moment where I say, wow, look what God did. But here's what I know. There are other times when I wonder why the situation doesn't change, but here's what I know. The most important shout is the shout at the end. 
And that's the shout where Paul, where John said in Revelation 21 that there was a loud voice from heaven and a heavenly city came down, merged with this earth, and God said, I'm going to dwell with all my people. I promise you guys, in the end, the most important shout is that shout at the second coming and that shout at the end of time that allows us to experience a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen.